Welcome to the Healthy Doctor Podcast. My name is Dr. Steve Sartori, and I'm the director of CMDA's Center for Well-Being. At CMDA's Center for Well-Being, we strive to help doctors align with God, optimize their well-being, and maximize their influence. On this episode, it is my privilege to speak with Dr. Bruce Young. Dr. Young is a personal friend of mine, having practiced with me for several years. Dr. Young has a breadth of practice experience, having been in a group practice, having served as a member of a residency faculty with the University of Kentucky, and serving at a community health center before entering direct primary care. Dr. Young is a graduate of the University of Chicago Medical School and did his residency in Greeley, Colorado before moving to rural Kentucky. He is the father of six and a rabid Cubs fan, having been satisfied by the 2016 World Series victory. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Dr. Young with you, our listeners. Well, I'm here with Dr. Bruce Young today, and uh, Bruce, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. Oh, our pleasure. Bruce, you uh, you are involved in a type of medicine called direct primary care, and some of our listeners are familiar with that, but many are not. So would you please help us to understand uh, what direct primary care is? For me, direct primary care is just like the name sounds. It's uh, where patients and physicians are directly accountable to each other, and it commonly happens in the primary care field. So one of the defining characteristics sometimes is membership medicine. For instance, in our practice, we offer a membership to our patients, and it's a low fee, $55 a month. They allow the patient to be seen at the physician's office as many times in a year as they need. And we also include a number of different services with that, including uh, standard uh, laboratory testing. So we have 100 different labs for which there's no extra charge. And then ancillary services beyond that that we do in our office are, are discounted, and then we have arrangements to, uh, to discount other laboratory, diagnostic, or therapeutic services outside of our office with, with other providers and, and facilities. So it sort of works direct primary care like a, a membership with any other type of organization with which you might have a membership, such as a gymnasium or a club to that degree. So, yeah, so that's how I define direct primary care. And like I said, there's, there's different definitions if you go online and, and search for those or you talk to different physicians or, or, or patients. So a wide array of services at the primary care level that you're able to deliver to these patients. And you mentioned the word accountability. What does that mean exactly when you say the accountability between doctor and patient? I used to practice with you, Steve, as you well know. And I remember one of the phrases you would commonly give us younger physicians, and that was that no matter what type of practice model we were in, as Christian physicians, we should do the right thing. And the challenge with that is who the payer happens to be for the services that you're providing to whoever's in front of you. And as you know, in traditional standard medicine nowadays, there are so many other people theoretically in the room with you as you're treating a patient. So whether it's the insurance company, whether it's some entitlement program, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, whether it's some employer-funded healthcare group that you're with, their presence is there uh, in your relationship. And so sometimes your loyalties are divided somewhat. With direct primary care, since the patient is directly paying for their care that they're receiving from you, you've removed all those other issues from the exam and from the interaction with the person who's in front of you. So 
So that's what I like about it, and, and we've designed a standard informational sheet with our patients, a contract, if you will, that basically lets the patient know that they're welcome to dismiss me at any time or I them at any time for any reason. And so that mutual accountability with each other makes our relationship so much nicer. There's not an insurance company or the federal government or an employer holding you know, something over my head demanding I provide a service that the patient might not want or making it difficult for me to provide a service that I think would be helpful for the patient and that the patient would want. So I just love that mutual accountability without other, uh, if you want to call them interfering parties, that might be a little bit harsh, that might be present. So that word direct uh, certainly is apropos here. Yes, very good. So how would this differ from concierge medicine or one of the things we hear about out in the marketplace of medicine? Yeah, well, one of the words I like to use to describe direct primary care, and I think it might set it apart from concierge medicine in some ways, is value. I happen to be in one of the poor counties in our state and, and one of the poorer ones in the nation. And for me, it's been all about value. So if I'm going to practice medicine without third-party payers, Medicaid, Medicare, private insurance, employer-funded plans, then I'm going to have to be able to show the people who come to me that I can provide them with a really good service at a really good deal. Concierge medicine is probably reaching out to people who are in a different economic status than the majority of the patients in our community and are looking for that extra touch. And, you know, I think that's fine. So if people have a more discretionary income and are willing to pay for a higher level of service that may or may not be, quote, necessary, unquote, I think that's fine because a lot of things that have happened in concierge medicine, they do trickle their way down to direct primary care. And it's sort of like the automobile industry, right? There's some really fancy cars out there. You can Take, for instance, a BMW across town or a VW, and uh, the BMW is more like concierge medicine, so it has the latest, greatest whistles and features, whereas a VW may not, but it has the basic functions that allow the, uh, the trip to be made safely. And then some of those features in concierge medicine eventually work their way into direct primary care. So they, they're complementary, and they're probably just geared for different people uh, with different means or different economic statuses. But what I do like about direct primary care is we have patients come to our office from all walks of life, and uh, everybody who comes here, uh, after they've been here for a while, they, they really seem to appreciate the value that they get. And, and from my standpoint, it's like I can provide them with the best possible health care I can and know that they do have, you know, hopefully some discretionary income left over, even if they are on the wealthier end of the, the spectrum that they can use for, for other causes besides having to pay for health care. So that's probably the fundamental difference is probably the cost. When you come into my office, as you know, you're not going to have the fanciest office in the whole world, but it's going to be adequate, it's going to be safe, and it's hopefully going to be effective. Well, you talk about value as being a key word for you and the deliverable that you give of good primary care in return for a modest fee. That certainly provides good value to your patients. One of the things here that I'm involved with is the CMDA Center for Well-Being. So we focus on the well-being of doctors. So I'm curious and interested in what direct primary care does for you as a practicing physician from the perspective of well-being, the physician experience. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. I, I tend to feel a little bit guilty and maybe a bit selfish when I talk about what an impact of primary care has had on me. Um, I've had the privilege of practicing in multiple models of healthcare. So I've been in private practice with a group of physicians 
I've been involved in a residency program. I've been involved in a federally qualified health center. So those have been wonderful experiences. But now uh, with direct primary care, some of the opportunities, some of the things I really wanted to do in my other models of healthcare delivery, now I can do it, whereas before I felt uh, restrained or constricted or unable to get it all done. The other key feature uh, besides value with drug primary care, I think, is time. And having adequate time has been a game changer for me as well as for my patients. From, from my perspective, I enjoy having adequate time with each patient to research and figure out what's going on with them, to just sit and listen. Uh, my nurse, Lori, tends to remember all the different stories and anecdotes about patients who we've helped or whose lives we've had the opportunity to save who otherwise wouldn't have had those opportunities without the direct primary care model. And because it's such a a simple model, uh, there's a certain value financially per patient per month. We can calculate that out through the course of a year and determine how many patients we can see per day and then how much time we get to have with each person per day. So right now I have 30 minutes per visit. And then once a year, we try to have an hour visit per patient. So new patients all get an hour. Annual visit should be an hour. And then everything else is half an hour. And, and as your listeners well know, certainly in primary care, we don't need a half an hour for simple, straightforward procedures, ear infections, sore throats, the UTIs, the like. But I, I just find it so helpful to have the margin in my life. My prior CEO at the uh, fairly qualified health center at which we worked told me that there's two things a primary care physician should do. And there may be more, but he, he said, number one is we need to develop relationships of trust with our patients, and uh, we also need to solve complex medical problems. And I recall thinking in my mind, but not saying it back to him, of course, was that, well, then give me the one thing I need for that, and that's time. And drug primary care gives us the time to do that. So if I have time, I can be the best possible doctor I can be. I may not be the brightest family physician in the whole world, but with adequate time, I can be pretty good. And with uh, a lot of the modern technology available today, online research, I can look things up. And, and even when I'm in the exam room with a patient, I've yet to have a patient complain when I ask them, would it be all right with you if I just looked this up on a computer program that I have just to look through your symptoms a little bit, make sure there's nothing I'm missing? No one has complained about that. And to have this model to give me that time to perform medicine at my very best, it just it's so gratifying. The other thing I really enjoy is I'm not listening to doors slamming behind me or outside of my room that I'm in with other patients entering them. So in my uh, old office, I, I had three or four exam rooms, and when I'm in one and I hear the other doors being opened and closed with patients being placed in them, I feel rushed, I feel anxious, I need to get going. And to have that stress removed just makes the encounter with the patient I'm presently with so much more enjoyable. I feel like I'm in the moment with this patient. I can concentrate on them. So that, that's been a, a real blessing. I never thought, Steve, that I would be one of the physicians who I practice with that would go into solo practice. I never imagined myself that way. I've always been a team player. I love team sports, baseball, softball, basketball, anything that's a team sport. And to be in private practice on my own is something I, I never dreamed that I would be able to do. But because of the simplicity of this model, it's possible to do that. So I've really enjoyed other aspects of medicine that I really didn't pay much attention to before, the financial aspects of it, the the marketing of services that you're providing. Those have been actually sort of fun. I've joked around kiddingly with some people that 
doing direct primary care just feels right in many dimensions. So it, it definitely feels right as a provider, especially a primary health care provider. And it also feels right, if I could say so, from a doctrinal or spiritual perspective. And I really feel like I am providing a type of business model, a type of practice, where I can focus and concentrate on the patient and provide them the best possible health care that I can offer. And as a Christian physician, having those opportunities to build relationships of trust with patients gives me the opportunity to understand my patient's value systems, where they're coming from. It gives me the opportunity to share my understanding of who God is and my worldview. Those interactions don't feel stressed. They don't feel rushed. They feel like they're natural in this setting. So once again, it feels a bit selfish practicing direct primary care from my perspective, so I always like to emphasize the advantages to patients and to their employers, but since you asked about it from my perspective, I really enjoy it. And physician burnout, I think they've done surveys on this. I was asked to participate in one recently with direct primary care physicians, and I would imagine that direct primary care, the way that it's practiced is going to help address the major problems in medicine right now with physician burnout, especially from the primary care perspective. Because even though I've enjoyed the other things I've done in medicine, some of those frightening, scaring, exhilarating events you and I and our colleagues were involved with, you know, in terms of C-sections and deliveries and emergencies and ICU and floating swans and all that kind of crazy stuff that we did in a small town. Right now, it's hard to imagine that that even compares to this, where I just am practicing the medicine the way I feel like I was trained to do and having adequate time and, and being the, the very best doctor I can be for my patients. This actually will help. Some people say, well, you're not going to be seeing as many patients as other physicians are because you're not seeing 40, 50 patients a day. You're seeing, you know, 5 to 15, maybe 20 patients a day. But I really think that this model of healthcare that I'm doing would be something that I could do for a long time. And if I can keep up my medical acumen by having time to read the latest articles and stay up to date, I I think I could do this into my 70s and if my brain uh, hung in there (laughs) into my 80s because this is something that will allow physicians to continue to practice, to continue to, especially Christian physicians, use their training and their gifts and their life calling for years beyond where their colleagues might just say, I'm burnt out now. And and I understand the burnout, the overregulation of medicine nowadays, the pressures to see more and more people faster and faster to Try and get all the possible funding that you can through the different you know, government regulation programs, MIPS, MACRA, meaningful or meaningless use, as I call it. Those pressures, man, to have those off of my shoulder, I think that makes me more inclined to continue to practice in this model for a longer period of time. Well, that sounds great. It sounds like you're quite happy doing what you're doing. You touched on the time issue, which is one of the major complaints Uh, When we talk to doctors about well-being is this sense of I don't have enough face time with my patients. It sounds like your model provides an excellent amount of time for the patient and for you. And that's a major satisfier for both the patient and the physician is this face time. You also alluded to the fact that, you know, the spiritual conversations or the understanding of values, I think you said, the worldview, where you're coming from, where the patient's coming from, has more opportunity to be explored. So I'm curious... You've practiced in a variety of models. You've always been the same Christian physician. How would you gauge or compare your impact spiritually in the lives of patients given all of these different models? Has it really made any difference? Well, over all of this, you know, God is sovereign, right? So he understands the, the times that you're in, the relationships that you're in. 
he knows who's going to be coming through your doors, who your employers are going to be, your colleagues and all that. However, um, I say however, I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying this model of healthcare to me has just made me feel more free, more at ease, and less stressed from competing values to be able to present my worldview and to listen to people share theirs. So as a Christian married physician whose wife is not in the office with me and who has children at home, I have this desire to be done in a timely fashion to go home and be with the family, to be involved and engaged in events with them because no one else can be the father to my kids besides me or should be while I'm still alive. And so I want to have that. And if I have 30 patients I have to see in a set period of time and they're here for health care alone and they don't think that their worldview or their spirituality has any impact on their health care and they just want their problem solved, I'm much more inclined to go that way because I also have issues and values that are outside of my office that I don't want to destroy or to neglect. So with drug primary care, being able to see fewer patients at a slower pace, it allows me to have that margin to engage my patients. One of my favorite anecdotes is a young man who's on my exam table, and he was sharing with me some of his, his issues, and they were psychological in nature. And for me, I felt it was important to understand his worldview and where he was coming from. And so I had the time to ask him. Uh, I said, well, what do you think about God? And he told me, well, I, I prefer not to believe in God. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And here I am in my 50s, and I said, you know, me too. <laughs> I said, you know, but the thing is, if I didn't believe in God, I think I've enjoyed everything that I really want to enjoy in life. I think I've enjoyed it. And I sort of think that from now on, life is downhill. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is taking its place in my mind and in my body. And um, maybe I would just end it all if there was nothing more to life beyond this. And so I engaged him in that, and I, and I asked him, I said, well, I said, you're young. And I said, I don't want you to live your life as a hypocrite. I said, figure it out. I said, find out if there's a God or not. And I'm convinced that there is a God. He's going to want you to know the truth of the, his existence and his reality. And if you find that there's not a God, then live that way. I'll live as if there isn't a God. Have relationships that are all self-serving. Uh, everything you do is about yourself. Step on people. You can treat them however you want to. But I said, if you, if you start acting like a hypocrite and treat people nicely, then I'm really worried about whether you found the truth or not. And um, so I uh, engaged him a little bit further, and, and I told him, it's sort of like standing on the edge of a cliff in my mind and thinking that, you know, I prefer not to believe in gravity. I said, it doesn't change the reality of gravity, one iota, what you believe about it or not. And I said, the same thing with the universe and, and with our worldview. You know, whether you believe in God or not does not change the reality of his existence or not. So I said, if you jump and you choose to believe that there is no God, and there is, or you choose to believe that there is no gravity, and there is, you're going to feel the consequences of it. I said, you know, from my perspective, if there is no God and I live my life, that there was a God that really wanted me to live my life for others, what a wonderful uh, thing that is if it's true. I said, if it's not true, well, then I was just a real nice guy to a lot of people. That's the worst of it. And I said, but in your situation, if you... Uh, believe there is no God, and there turns out to be a God, I mean, there might be hell to pay for it. It might be like landing at the bottom of a cliff, believing there is no gravity. So to have a conversation like that, to take the time to walk through it, even though I rushed through it right now, with a person and, and to get their responses and feedback and then help to guide therapy based on their worldview, I feel like this model of healthcare, drug primary care, provides me that opportunity to have those interactions. So, 
you know, that just is one example. There, there's more, but it's the one that stands out in my mind because I was able to reach across an age boundary, a cultural boundary, a worldview boundary without feeling the pressure of, I got to get out of this room. I got to get going to the next two or three patients that are waiting for me. So I even think from a spiritual perspective, if you want to compartmentalize a little bit in our thinking here, for a Christian physician to have a drug primary care model to provide the adequate time to engage with our patients. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So that, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm really excited about doing direct primary care. Well, I can hear the excitement in your voice, and I cannot imagine a conversation like that happening in a 10-minute slot in an appointment schedule. So that's a very strong point for how the impact in patients' lives can be maximized by just spending more time. Speaking of time, Bruce, we're about at the end of our time, but uh, what else would uh, you like to tell our listeners? Yeah, there is so much. So I, I just love direct primary care. I love the model uh, that it has a value and time are the key features. There are challenges involved with uh, direct primary care, and certainly the uh, getting to an adequate level of patience is, is uh, important. I still think that trusting God, no matter what model of health care you're in, doing what you understand to be the right thing, uh, what you understand from God's Word or from His Spirit to be the right thing is important, no matter what the pressures are. But I would encourage people to explore this model. It certainly has prevented me from going any deeper into burnout that I that I felt before I, I went this way. And um, I guess I also encourage patients that if they're married and have spouses to listen to them because it was my wife's idea to explore this model. And I, I'm very thankful to God for having her in my life and, and for encouraging me uh, to look at this. One of the great dissatisfiers for doctors is being on call. And you are on call 24-7. So how would you address that piece of satisfaction for a direct primary care doctor? You know, uh, people who have asked me, who have come to me for consultation about doing direct primary care, have asked, well, how often are you disturbed if you have your phone? And it, seriously, on average now, I have 500 patients, but I get interrupted between 10 at night to 7 in the morning once a year. Uh, I've had it happen four, maybe five times now, and I'm going to be hitting our fifth year anniversary here shortly. So that's not bad at all. And then the, you know, the after hours from, you know, five o'clock to to ten, you know, it might happen one or two times a week, but it's not a big deal. And it, a lot of it's done online too. Patients will just send me a text, or they'll send me an email, uh, or a patient engagement message. So and it can be solved very quickly. So. Really not that bad. So. Yeah, well, you're so available and so accessible that they don't have to try to get you at 2 in the morning. They can get you any time, so, uh, and you're readily available during any hours during the day easily, so yeah, sounds that, good. You know, that patient accountability you know, form that we have, and you know, people don't want to lose their relationship with me, and I don't want them to lose my relationship with them. So because of that, they don't want to interrupt me needlessly you know, after hours, and when they do interrupt me, I don't want to lose them as patients, so I want to take care of them, right? So I think that mutual accountability is, is very, very helpful. Yeah. That the system doesn't get abused and, and that it is used appropriately. Bruce, if someone's curious and wants to find out more about direct primary care and some of the advantages you've just laid out for us, where would they go? Yeah, there's a number of resources out there. Well, one of them would be I Want Direct Care. I believe it's a .com instead of a .org website, but just search for that. There are some great uh, resources there. Phil Eskew is a physician as well as an attorney who has put together uh, lots of resources for free for physicians. I do know that Josh Umber 
and Doug Nunnemaker out in Wichita. They have a group called Atlas, and uh, they have an electronic health record as well that's developed for direct primary care. They may be a good resource as well. And people are more than welcome to look at our website, DocShop, D-O-C-S-H-O-P-P-E, Dot net, and they can see our website there, and there's contact information too. So, yeah, if any physicians would like to contact me, they're welcome to do that. My email address is on the, on the website as well. That's probably a good first step. So docshop.com, D-O-C-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. Is that right? Uh, it's actually dot .net. So if dot you get dot net. .com, you get a shoe store in New York City. <laughs> that is definitely not me. <laughs> Lisa was last time I checked, so it would be dot .net. All yeah. right. Thank you very much. And, uh, Bruce, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a joy to talk to you about direct primary care. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. It's always fun talking to you. It was great to learn more about direct primary care by listening to Dr. Young. I hope you enjoyed that like I did. If you want more information, the website to visit is docshop.net. That's D-O-C-S-H-O-P-P-E dot net. Once again, our Christian Center for Well-Being seeks to help healthcare professionals align with God, optimize their well-being, and maximize their influence. If you wish to advance your own well-being, please visit cmda.org coaching in order to connect with one of our professionally certified coaches for doctors. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Sartori charging you to live well and lead well. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.